We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for June 8th, 2008. And today we're going to conclude our teaching on Dominionism, Reconstructionism, Theonomy. And the first part of this particular lesson, we're going to talk about the players in Christian Reconstructionism. How did this thing get started and who were the, the players? Um, the main person that is listed here is a person named Dr. Ruiz Rushduni. Uh, he lived from 1917 to 2001. And he's, a, he's considered essentially the patriarch of the Christian modern-day Christian Reconstructionism movement. Rushduni actually had a massive two-volume uh, set entitled Institutes of Biblical Law, which is an extensive study, 1,600 pages, of how the Ten Commandments could be applied to modern society and followed by detailed treatments of taxation, government, virtue, oaths, penal sanctions, property, and nearly every domain of jurisprudence. So again, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and he is a better covenant. Clearly states that in the New Testament. And then if righteousness cometh by the law, then our faith is dead and in vain. Okay, these are all Bible verses I'm quoting. And a guy like Rush Dunier, the Dominionists ultimately want to bring us back under the uh, New Testament, uh, or the Old Testament, Levitical law system. This two-volume set by Rush Dooney is considered the Bible of Reconstructionist philosophy. And again, it's like anything else. This is how cults get started. You have somebody that comes along, particularly if it has a Christian veneer, they come along and they say they're a Christian, and then they start to reinterpret the scripture, or put their own spin on things, and then they, they end up doing a lot of their own writings in order to reinterpret things. And that's how most pseudo-Christian cults get started. Rush Dooney, in a 3 of 1988 letter, March of 1988, said, quote, our objective is nothing less than the re-Christianizing of America. Now, that all sounds good, okay, to a Christian, but from a biblical standpoint, it's clear that is not going to happen. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Um, that in the latter times, they, uh, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their consciences seared with a hot iron. That if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So we know that there's going to be a great falling away in the end times. God is going to send strong delusion according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And yet, the crux of this movement is saying that we're going to make things better and better and we're going to actually re-Christianize America and then the world. And this is the exact same goal of, of guys like um, uh, a lot of the people within the uh, hyper-charismatic movement as well, and Rick Warren and a lot of these other people. So at the time of his death, Rush Dooney believed as many as 20 million charismatics worldwide were part of the Reconstructionism movement, even though he was not fond of charismatics himself. But it, they were basically using them, and have been using them, to accomplish their own means. Okay, And again, in order to have a one-world religious system, you have to have everybody on the same page. And the one-world religious system is going to be about world domination, too, if you think about it. They're just going to have a different veneer toward it. Okay, And that veneer is changing um, within Christianity as well to become more and more secularized and less and less Christian. 
Reconstructionists would deny that they believe or teach salvation by works. Yet their spiritual father, Rush Dooney, believed a, a Christian had denied God if he did not actively work to transform society. Okay, so, yes, they say they don't believe in salvation by works, but and in works they deny that. In other words, they, they don't really believe what they're saying. He said, quote, a godly law order will work to disinherit, execute, and supplant the ungodly and to confirm the godly in their inheritance. For Christians to work for anything less is to deny God. See, they believe they're working for a kingdom that they believe they're going to usher in, that they're going to bring in by their own power. Okay, and they're, they're trying to attain something only the Lord Jesus Christ can do. So if the latter statement were true, all the apostles and Jesus himself would have been counted as denying God. Okay, so you just have to you know, compare this to what the Lord Jesus Christ taught and what the New Testament teaches. And as Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Okay, so you have to keep coming back to that verse as well. There's a lot of verses you can point to here. Now the second major player in the Christian Reconstructionism movement is a guy named Gary North, who's actually the son-in-law of Rush Dooney. And he was the founder of the Institute of Christian Economics in Tyler, Texas, and Dominion Press. Uh, boy, they didn't really mince any words with that Dominion Press, man. <laughs> and as one of the most militant Reconstructionists, Rush Dooney and North did not speak to each other for years. Uh, Rush Dooney looked on North as a heretic. Now, this is unbelievable, this next statement. Okay, Why did Rush Dooney look upon his son-in-law, Gary North, as a heretic? Okay, Let's read that. Because Gary North teaches that the menstrual blood of a virgin bride is a type of blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. That's a pregnant pause there. Do you... Is, is that unbelievable? I, I read that and I, I just... I've never even heard anything so insane. North teaches that the menstrual blood of a virgin bride is a type of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. How blasphemous that is. I mean, that is, like, really blasphemous. I mean, the Old Testament, when it talks about, you know, a time, I believe it's referred to as of a, of a woman and her uncleanness. Uh, they refer to it as the fountain, these types of things. But it's a time where you're not supposed to have sexual relations with your wife. And it's not looked at in a positive light. It's not as though it's something evil because it's something that, you know, happens, okay? And it's, it's a natural physiologic process. But to compare menstrual blood with the blood of Jesus Christ is, I would say, pretty blasphemous. Yeah. And if you study the occult, it's interesting, when I read this, many, many people that are involved in the highest level of the occult are obsessed with menstrual blood. Okay, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail any further. Just suffice it to say that they, um, it's one of the highest things they use in their ceremony. Some go as so far as to drink it and covet it that much during their occult ceremonies. Okay, but think about it. If, if you know, Satan is always going to try to defile humanity to the furthest extent possible. So, it really should be as no surprise if you hear in the highest level satanic ceremonies of stuff like this going on. You know, and even 
things that are that are I don't know if you could get a lot more disgusting, but there's there's things that they do that are just beyond your comprehension. Because Satan will always take you as far as he can into the most vilest of sins if you permit that. So, going further, it says, Like his late father-in-law and mentor, Rush Dooney, Norse forte is rhetoric and not exegesis. Consequently, his approach is characterized by a more logical, theological arguments occasionally punctuated with scripture than by hard reasoning derived from careful exegetical analysis of scripture. In other words, examining the scripture, um, being as the Bereans and studying it, and... um, these guys tend to argue through logical arguments as opposed to using the Bible to back up what they say. Okay, Which, really, if you think about it, then what is that person doing? He's appealing to your heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Okay, so, Jeremiah 49, so, um, or 17, I'm sorry, uh, so when we have that particular dynamic going on, and you're being led by your heart, this is a very dangerous position that you're in. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 says that. So, that doesn't really surprise me when I heard that. According to North, women who have abortions should be publicly executed along with those who advise them to abort their children. So now, this is even going further than even biblical mandates. And, I mean, even if you were under Old Testament Levitical law, this is going further than that. And that's what you're always going to get when you have somebody come along and they start their own little pseudo-Christian cult. Um, They're always going to take things further than the Bible says. And, And this is really equivalent, if you think about it, to adding to the Word of God, and at the same time taking away. Because in order to, to justify these positions, there's a, there's a lot of things you would have to ignore or take away in the Bible, and there's also a lot of things you'd have to add to. And we talked last week about, you know, what it talks about at the end of the book of Revelation, where if you take away these things out of the book of this prophecy, that will take away your part out of the book of life. This isn't something you really want to mess around with. Or if you add to the Word of God, God will add to you the plagues in these books. And, again, it's something that really what I believe boils down to is these guys don't have any fear of God. Because what they're doing, if they had any fear of God, why would they be adding to and taking away the Word of God and so flipping about it? I mean, Rush Tooney goes in here and he writes uh, this this gigantic, consider the Bible of uh, the Reconstruction Movement, 1,600 pages. You know, uh, it's just a very, very dangerous position they're putting themselves in. Um... Now, as a means of execution regarding these uh, women that abort their children, North prefers stoning because, among other things, stones are cheap, plentiful, and convenient. So, that's his justification for stoning. North claims that the ideas of Reconstructionists have perpetuated into the Protestant circles and that, for the most part, are unaware of the original source of their theological ideas that are beginning to transform them. And I've seen this in various denominations that I've been associated with, um, I have seen, after I did this study, I really saw, was able to identify that, yes, there was this creeping in to several different denominations, the Baptists, the, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics. Um, so it's there. North claims that the ideas of the Reconstructionists have penetrated into Protestant circles, 
Okay, I already read that, I'm sorry. North describes the three major legs of the Reconstructionist movement as the Presbyterian-oriented educators, uh, two, the Baptist school headmasters and pastors, and the charismatic telecommunications system. That's what North describes it as. So, you know, I would have to agree with that. So if we go further, one of the next person they, they talk about in regard to the Reconstructionist movement is a guy named Greg Banson. Now, he's deceased. He was a radical religious totalitarian who believed the codified law of Moses must be applied directly to American society. So again, here we have an, a guy that believes the codified law of Moses has to be applied to our society. His controversial book, Theonomy in Christian Ethics, argues that the Mosaic Penal Code should be applied to American civil law. Banson believed that there are 15 crimes that merit capital punishment in a reconstructed society, including... Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, okay, so these, these crimes that merit capital punishment are murder, rape, sodomy, apostasy, witchcraft, Sabbath-breaking, blasphemy, and ir irrecordable children. So these are ones that, that really, he believes, they're where the death penalty applies. Can you imagine if these guys were at the head of our society? I mean, when, when Jesus had approached the adulteress, you know, he said, He who hath not said, let him cast the first stone at her. And then they all, let, you know, put down their stones. Because they knew they had all sinned. Okay? These types of people want to bring us back not only to Old Testament Levitical law, but they want to bring us back to something even beyond that. Something that, that wouldn't have even, um, you know, merited the death penalty, even in the Old Testament. So, and that's just what you're always going to get. Okay, they just want to bring us back under the law. I, I believe the, the core root of that um, is, a, is, a, is a means of control of these people. That's why they would want to do this. Because it's a very, very good control mechanism. So, if you have somebody like who's a Messianic Jew, or a Christian, quote, Zionist, or Jews for Jesus type of person, they would probably gravitate toward this type of thinking as well, because they're already doing all this stuff. They already believe that you have to keep the Sabbath still, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to keep the feasts, and all this other stuff. So, I think they would be a very, very good candidate to also come under the umbrella of this Reconstructionist, Dominionist movement. Banson considered an insult, an insolent teen, or one who becomes repeatedly drunk as a glutton, or one who breaks the civil laws, one who must die for his sin. Now, then there's Dr. James Jordan, who is a pastor of the Reconstructionist Church in Tyler, Texas. Jordan is unabashedly harsh and violent in calling for blood ve vengeance and maledictions or curses on sinners. In fact, Jordan says, I suggest that in a Christian society, the death penalty is still appropriate for the crimes of worshipping another god on the Lord's day. And that was from his 1982 July report called the Geneva Papers. So he's... He, brings it so far as to worshiping another god on the Lord's day. You see where, like I said, 
you give these guys an inch, they're going to take a mile. And then there's Earl Polk, who is the founding pastor of the megachurch Chapel Hill in Harvester Church near Atlanta. He believes that uh, Christ cannot return until the church has taken dominion over the earth. Now, he's more of a, he's much more of the charismatic Pentecostal bent than the other ones that I, I just mentioned, I believe. Uh, another one is Robert Grant, who's an influential Washington, D.C.-based political activist. He has ties also to the Unification Church, or the Moonies. Now, there's a lot, I've done a whole teaching on this, with this Reverend Sung Young Moon guy. I believe he just stepped down recently, and his son took over. But a lot of the big-time, um, modern-day uh, televangelists and, and, and these types of people have taken tons and tons and tons of money from this Mooney cult. And they're all pretty much trying to get on the same page. And just look at the name of his church. It's called the Unification Church. We're trying to unify all the religions, which is the goal of the Antichrist. And then there's Pat Robertson, founder and president of Christian Broadcasting Network. He maintains a low profile among the more militant Reconstructionists. Uh, although Rush Dooney and North have appeared a number of times on his 700 Club television program, which is like the Psychic Hot Friends Network for Christians, essentially. You know, um, he'll get on there and, 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 you know, Pat Robinson starts praying and then he starts saying, oh, somebody in whatever that's watching right now has their big toe, is, uh, he's got a really bad hangnail, and, you know, this hangnail's really bad, and uh, there's actually infection, and God's healing you of that hangnail and that infection right now, in Jesus' name. And he does this. And they go through, and then they have people calling and confirming it. So people think that just because that is going on, that it's absolutely of God. And the, one of the main things they do in that show, because that's one of the few I've kind of just tuned into, I get so nauseated watching these shows. I really can't watch them very long because I get so angry. But um, another thing that he does is they'll have interview after interview of people that have said that God spoke to them while they were watching 700 Club. And, and basically God convicted them to, you know, double or triple or quadruple or whatever they're giving to the center of 700 Club. And now all of a sudden they're like, they're totally out of debt, they're rich, and it's everything's great. You know, so it's the prosperity gospel that's heavily emphasized on the 700 Club. And, you know, I saw a commercial, I think it was very, very recently, where um, Pat Robinson was on with a secular, oh, he was on with some really, really liberal, um, a guy in politics, and they were saying how they, they need to um, be on the same page, though, uh, when it came to some particular political issue. So it showed Pat Robertson on one side, and this this it was a it was a it was a black gentleman, and he was but he's very very liberal, and they said, but we can agree to agree on this. So again, it's the whole bringing us toward this one world where we're all on the same page. It's not even about all the religions being on the same page. It's about the whole world being on the same page, if you think about it, ultimately. So, you know, he's he's um, has heavy, heavy-duty ties with the Freemasons. Um, his dad was involved in um, the Freemasons. He was on the cover of Time Magazine doing the, what they call the... Um, the lion's paw sign on the cover of Time magazine, uh, which is a Freemasonic sign. It's it's one of the the uh, they call it the strong grip of the lion's paw and the Freemasons. And he was right on the cover with this particular very very distinctive unique sign uh, 
And, um, you know, I've, I've sent out pictures of this several times of, of him doing this. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, the Reconstructionist site that Robertson's creation of a television network in Regent University as a model of effective Christian organization. See, that's why they want to get on board with people like Pat Robertson and ultimately uh, Sky Angel and TBN and, and or God TV because the model for reaching millions is there. And so that that's why they're trying to always um, get on board. Uh, Rush Dooney and North have also been repeat guests on Dr. D. James Kennedy's television program, which often calls America to return to a Christian base. Kennedy has denied that he is a theonomist as such because it would be impractical for every nation to go theonomic, but it, that would be desirable. But again, you have to look at what the Bible says is going to happen. It doesn't matter what, you know, they want. It matters what does the Bible clearly predict is going to happen. And we've already went over some of those verses. Uh, Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law conscientiously echoes a major work of the Protestant Reformation. John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion. In fact, Reconstructionists see themselves as the theological and political heirs of Calvin. The theocracy Calvin created in Geneva, Switzerland in the 1500s is one of the political models Reconstructionists look to along with Old Testament Israel and the Calvinist Puritans of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, in fact, the Puritans were direct forerunners of today's Kingdom, Dominion, Reconstructionist heresy. Now, and again, I'm not going to say everything that came out of Calvinism or Puritanism is all evil, okay? But I'm saying that there's there's bits and pieces of all this within Reconstructionism. The Puritans believed that they were carrying out, carrying to America the true Christianity as decreed by God, especially as written in the Old Testament. They believed, too, that they were on a divine mission to America to place specially appointed, a place specially appointed by God to be the new Israel, a theocratic city upon a hill. Puritans viewed themselves as God's special people, replacing national Israel, and that the American Indians were the new Canaanites. Um, which, really, this is a lot of this whole modern-day British-Israeliism, very, very similar to that as well, which would also have a very much of a dominionist bent. Um, we are this privileged, special group or race of people that has this mandate to take back the world for God, and therefore, because we're on a mission from God, we can pretty much do whatever we want to do in order to take back the world, as long as we're doing it for God. And that's kind of the attitude that you run into there. And, it's, and it breeds a very elitist attitude, and very much I'm better than you attitude. And again, you would start to view other races that were not Christian as the, quote, new Canaanites. It would have that tendency to well up in you, that particular thing. The fruit of the Puritan theology was brutal, actually. They saw their mission as converting these Canaanites to Christianity or slaughtering them in the name of Christ. For example, the Puritan massacres of the Pequot Indian tribe, May 26, 1637, and again on July 14, 1637, were deemed by the Puritans to be directed by God. And that was from Captain John Mason. That was a uh, Puritan that, was, that said that. He declared God laughed his enemies 
God laughed his enemies and his enemies of the people to scorn, making them as a fiery oven. Thus did the Lord Jesus among the heathen, filling the place with dead bodies. End of quote. And that was from Siegel and Steinbeck, Puritans, Indians, and Manifest Destiny, page 111, 112, 134, and 135. So, converting the pagans for God was acceptable to the Puritans, but killing the pagans for the Lord was also acceptable. And, you know, we're not supposed to go around killing people. Again, um, we're supposed to love our enemies, to do good to them that despitefully use us. Blessed are ye when all men shall persecute you and shall revile you, for great is your reward. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, all those verses we kind of tend to, these people tend to forget about. They just want to look back at the Old Testament and um, use that as an excuse to ignore the new. It's really what it boils down to. Um, or selectively interpret scripture in some particular way, shape, or form. Now, nearly three and a half centuries later, the new Puritans, called Reconstructionists, oh my, these are the new Puritans. Well now, that's not a stretch to say that. Because when the Puritans came here, they didn't have the particularly the same type of system we have in place in America, uh, law enforcement and things like that, to keep them really in check. They figured, okay, we're here, we can pretty much do what we want as long as we believe it's biblical. And go around killing people and stuff like that. And granted, it's not to that point yet in America, but if you look at the statements here by a lot of these major players in the Reconstructionist movement, how far off could that be, really? You know, I mean, if, if, if North had his way, I mean, we, we'd be going around, we would be stoning everyone that, that had abortions and the people that advocated them to get abortions. Now, abortion's a horrific thing. But again, are we mandated by the Lord Jesus Christ to go around killing everybody? I don't think so. So, again, you've you got to compare everything to Scripture. Always bring it back to doesn't line up with the Bible, with the Lord Jesus Christ's teachings, and particularly with the New Testament, okay? Comparing Scripture to Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, rightly dividing the word of truth, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, okay? So, something we, we really want to do every day of our lives. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to know the Bible. So, that's why it's very, very important to be getting into your King James Bible on a daily basis, memorizing scripture, and uh, doing that. So, the nearly three and a half years, centuries later, the new Puritans, called Reconstructionists, want to do what the earlier ones could not do, could not accomplish. Believing they have a mandate from God to reconstruct American society, they want to establish a theocracy, or theonomy, of God's law by instituting the civil code of the law of Moses under which all Americans and eventually all the world must live. So now we're forcing this religion on, on, on everybody, okay, is what their goal is. Which again, that's not biblical. God always gives people a free will choice. Okay, he doesn't force, he doesn't kick uh, um, a guy named Melvin Sisson, evangelist, he would always say, God does not kick the door down to your heart. Remember, he stands at the door and knocks. But it doesn't say he stands at the door and kicks it in. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If it, if it were that way, then, then that would be taking away our free will to make that decision. He would do it for you. Okay, and then we would all be like robots. Okay, God's not going to do that. They propose to eradicate 
democracy and reinstate a form of slavery. Now, I hate that word democracy because that's not a really accurate term. We were actually set up as a republic. Okay, I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the pledge either because I don't want to pledge allegiance to a flag. Pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. My king is King Jesus and him alone, the word of God. So I don't advocate pledging to the flag either. Because, you know, a lot of times they'll have these things in these churches where I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the, okay, I've been there, done it, okay. Or I pledge allegiance to the flag, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible. If you're pledging allegiance to a flag or to the Christian flag or whatever, okay, where does it, number one, to say to do that in the Bible? Okay, particularly in the New Testament, it says the Bible says, above all, swear not. Okay, and we're pledging allegiance to something, but what if the allegiance to what we are pledging contradicts the Bible? Then where, where's, your, where your, where's your allegiance then? Uh, choose whom this day you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, now, there's a lot of wicked stuff, unbiblical stuff, that goes on in our government. When you pledge allegiance to the flag, are you not pledging allegiance to, essentially to the governmental system of America? Well, what if that allegiance requires you to do something unbiblical? Which one are you going to serve? Okay? So, it's something to think about. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like pledging allegiance to, to that. My allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So, if we go further... Um, oh, and, and another thing to to uh, to talk about here. I, I watched a documentary on this movement, particularly on more of the charismatic bent toward the Dominionist movement. And in it, it had this scene where they had this church, and it was this camp. And it was almost like this camp that you sent your kids to, summer camp. And uh, these were like charismatics and stuff. They sent their kids there, and these kids, they actually, at one point, it was very, very much an emotional thing, okay? And they were trying to get these kids stoked up emotion, and it was all about setting up the kingdom, taking back the kingdom. Are you a good Christian? Are, are, have you given all to Christ? Are you doing everything you can do to take back the kingdom? And at one point, they had these kids dressed up in um, BTUs, or camo fatigues, and they had them on stage marching. And, they, and it was all about taking back the kingdom. And they had a cutaway of George Bush, and he was essentially like their God. And at one point they actually had this cutaway, and the kids came up to the altar, and they were at the altar praying, supposedly, for George Bush. As though he was the standard bearer. And in reality, he is, he's considered the standard bearer for the modern day really dominionist Christian movement in America. He's, he really is. Um, and if people are that deluded and deceived to think that George Bush, with all the evil things he's done in office, if they're that deluded and that deceived, you know, I tell you, I get emails from people, I got one from a guy last night calling me a modern day Pharisee and judge not lest you be judged and touch not God's anointed, the whole thing, you know. And I generally email them back about ooh, 50, 60 verses on what do you do with these verses? I just am curious. I just like to know what do you do? You strain at gnats and swallow camels. You don't rightly divide the word of truth whatsoever. You're accusing me of the very thing you're guilty of. 
But that's okay for you to do it because it's easy for you to refute not one shred of what I presented you. And this was about Todd Bentley um, in the Lakeland Revival. They don't, they don't refute anything. They just give me their opinion. Or they twist scripture. And, you know, it, it, but I get a lot of that. You know, and, and so, there's so many verses these particular people have to ignore in order to justify their position. But see, most of these people have thrown their Bible out the window a long, long time ago. And they never probably had the right Bible to begin with. They were reading some perversion. And then they go and they... Um, they go and they follow some man. And the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 So, when you trust in man, you're bringing yourself under a curse. And almost every single modern day thing, and the things that we're talking about today, what it requires of you, is for you to not put your trust in the Word of God, and for you to trust man. Because if you were putting your trust in the Word of God, you would not be into dominionism or reconstructionism. You wouldn't be doing this. Okay? You would be rightly dividing the Word of Truth. But that's not happening with most people. They would just rather choose to trust man. Some of it, I think, is laziness. Some of it is the fact that, you know, God is holy, and they don't want to be accountable to a holy God. They kind of want to do it their way. The other way is better because then they get to earn their way. They believe into heaven. You know, there's a lot of different reasons that this happens. So most Reconstructionists are also, um, now they're saying here anti-Semitic and racist. You know, some are, some aren't. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to get dogmatic about that. Because you could have a Christian Zionist or a Messianic Jew that holds a Jew up higher then an unsaved Jew, they would hold them higher up than anybody they would consider to be saved. They believe they get a jail out of free card just because they're, you know, Jewish or from Israel or whatever. So, I'm not going to get uh, dogmatic, but some of them are because they're deeply seated in the old identity movement or British Israeliism. And that's what I said. There's a lot of flavors to Dominionism and Reconstructionism. There's a lot of flavors... Um, denominational flavors, I should say, of this. But, it, with the strong delusion that's here, and that's coming, they're all going to get on the same page, eventually. They are. It's coming. It's just a matter of time before they get on the same page. So then, Christian Reconstructionism was a limited, aberrant movement until the early 1980s, when it invaded the charismatic churches. It began when Robert Tilton's wife read Gary DeMar's book, Robert Tilton, the old, you know, just right down the line, apostate, heretic. Well, his wife, she read Gary DeMar's book, God and Government, in the late 1983. And that persuaded, and then she persuaded her husband to invite a group of Reconstructionists to speak before 1,000 positive confession pastors. Positive confession. Oh, isn't that special? Uh, these are the tickle-your-ear type of pastors, positive. You know, everything is good and positive. They don't preach anything negative. It's, it's probably more the name-it-and-claim-it crowd. They're positively confessing these types of things. So this, this positive confession is very, very much in line with the New Age thing that's Oprah's pr promoting with the secret. You, you confess positive things, and then that's what you're going to attract. Now, I know you shouldn't go around being negative, all the time, okay? But, you know, you also want to have the truth as well. 
And there's a lot of things in the Bible that could be construed as harsh or negative um, that don't exactly tickle our ears. And there's a lot in there like that. Um, but it doesn't m- take away from the fact that that's what we need to hear. So, when Robert Tolton's wife did, she read this book, God and Government, in 83, she persuaded her husband to invite a group of Reconstructionists to speak before a thousand positive confession pastors and their wives at a January 1984 rally supported by Tilton's church. The all-day panel was very well received. Gary DeMar subsequent, uh, subsequently taught a course on the Christian basis of civil government on Tilton's satellite network. Now, you see why they were trying to get their foot in the door. He had his own satellite network. So, see, it was a means to an end. And then they would have more people coming on board, more people they could indoctrinate and recruit here. One writer says concerning this phenomenon, although they are not charismatics, Reconstructionists are working with such groups because charismatic television and radio networks provide an effective means of propagating related Reconstructionist beliefs. Gary North has openly acknowledged using charismatics to this end. On their part, the charismatics are apparently happy with their new partners because the Reconstructionist movements provide the intellectual and academic credibility that has, more often than not, been in short supply within the experience-laden charismatic movement. Experience-laden is whatever that means. Okay. So much of the time, the charismatics are just totally void on doctrine, is the point here. I mean, they talk about throwing out your Bible. Um, it's purely experience-driven. It's existentialism. It's their experience. It's how their heart feels. It's everything the Bible warns about not doing. They do. and they all. But as long as they can put a Christian veneer on it, they think it means it's of God. And that doesn't mean anything. Uh, remember, Satan, more often than not, comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come with two horns, a pitchfork, and a pointy tail. Okay, he comes as an angel of light spirit, and it's no marvel, therefore, if his ministers be transformed into ministers of righteousness, right? This is what we should expect, isn't it? Isn't this what we should expect? But no, the church goes on and says, oh no, he's so nice. They're, well, you know what? You're under their spell, and I mean that literally. I'm going to prove in the next teaching that I really believe that I really would go so far as to say the majority of these people in the highest echelons of televangelism, like Todd Bentley and these types of people, Benny Hinn, I don't believe they're just deceived. I believe they're high-level generational Satanists, or Luciferians. Okay, I'm going to prove that. I'm going to try to prove that in the next session. Now, if you were Satan, where would you preposition your your biggest people? Would you do that if they were, would you want them to be warming the pews in churches? Or would you want them to be at the pulpits where they could do the maximum amount of damage? Or better yet, not only pulpits, but pulpits that are televised all across the world. Think about it. So, going back to this article here, um, so the charismatics are happy because now they've got this academic credibility that these Reconstructionists can bring to the table. Okay, Gary North is convinced that the Reconstructionist partnership with the charismatic telecommunication system will transform the whole shape of American religious life. North goes on to say, the growing alliance between charismatics and Reconstructionists has caused critics to worry about this fact. The charismatic infantry. Now this is the whole army of God, uh, Joel's army thing. 
uh, manifest sons of God. Okay, this is where what we had talked about earlier in this other teaching that I had done. This is how this ties into this, and that's why I wanted to do this teaching, because it's all tied together. This charismatic infantry is at last being armed with the Reconstructionism's field artillery. So you've got the foot soldiers they believe is the charismatics, and then you've got the actual artillery, which is what the Reconstructionists bring to the table. They should be worried. This represents one of the most fundamental realignments in U.S. Protestant church history. Now, this is what, that was a quote from Gary North, actually, I was quoting from. Why would a movement that seems so good be so dangerous? First, it rests on unbiblical underpinnings. Secondly, it is seeking to accomplish in a pluralistic company, country and world a mosaic government. Something that is not, something that will not happen, okay? We're not going to go back to Mosaic Law. Lastly, though it will ultimately fail, its militancy will mean severe persecution for all Christians, true Christians. And worse, it will set in place the theocratic structure of Antichrist will assume. See, ultimately, if this were to put in place, all true Christians would have to be stoned because they would be stoned as heretics. We, we wouldn't go along with their unbiblical plans. So what would have to happen? We would be their biggest threat, if you think about it. So ultimately, and we are going to be the biggest threat to the one world system. No doubt about it. But that's not to say God can't protect you either. Okay? He always does preserve a remnant. That might not be the case in your, in your particular individual thing. I don't know. He's going to require martyrdom probably from several, who knows how many people. But you know what? The Lord is perfectly capable of getting you through whatever he has set before you. And I think that is why it's important, as Jesus said, that pray you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this world, if it be his will. If it be his will. Like Jesus said in the um, Garden of Gethsemane, Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thine be done. So that's something you should always punctuate your prayers with. Because if you're not praying in accordance with his will, you know, you're not going to get your prayers answered. And there's a lot of other things that can hinder prayers, and I've done whole teachings on that that you can reference you know, on Sermon Audio. So, there's going to be coming, if this Dominionist thing happens, a great um, persecution for all Christians, and worse, it will set in place the theocratic structure that Antichrist will assume. See, ultimately, they're going to do as much within the Christian movement to bring about the rule of Antichrist as probably anything going on worldwide. Because they're believing in something totally unbiblical. They believe that they're going to take dominion over the world. Well, the Antichrist is going to be the one that assumes the ultimate power role when he comes into power. And they're going to view him as like the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, coming on the scene. Because they have so thrown out the Bible and chosen to ignore Revelation. So... Um, Reconstructionists slash Dominionists represent very extremist views. Their intent is to create a theocracy based on God's, quote, new covenant. Their chief biblical error is the assumption that the thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth is now. Now, again, they don't, not all of them exactly view that exactly that particular way. But, and again, like I said, there's a lot of different flavors of this movement. Uh, but a lot of them do believe that the thousand-year kingdom of Christ is on earth now. But if that is so, why isn't Christ physically ruling from Jerusalem, if we go by the Bible? Okay, why isn't he in Jerusalem, physically ruling? Hmm? Where are the resurrected saints who will rule with him? Okay, 
where did the Lord and his armies, his the, the resurrected saints and the angels destroy, or no, when did the Lord and his armies and his resurrected saints and angels destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet? And when was Satan bound? When did all this take place? Moreover, their rhetoric is rancorous anti-Semitism and smacks of racism. Some of their rhetoric, not all. Okay, You can't be totally dogmatic about that, because some of them are totally pro-Israel. So, again, that's you got to temper that a little bit. They are planning a U.S. Christian government based on Old Testament law and their interpretation of scriptures. Most Reconstructionists pride themselves on biblical knowledge, yet Al Dagger says, of all Dominion's materials I've read, I have yet to see a single accurately exegesed scriptural reference that substantiates the Dominionist mandate for subduing the nations and or ruling the world prior to Jesus' return. Okay, but see, they believe if we're in the millennium that Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron, so evidently they can come around and do whatever they want to do. But the problem is, is if that were the case, why isn't Jesus ruling from Jerusalem with a rod of iron right now? And we, we already brought up that question. There's just a lot of things you've got to ignore <laughs> to believe this stuff. Um, they either spiritualize, allegor allegorize, or erroneously apply the scriptures in their attempts to justify an otherwise untenable position. Not only will a man-made theocracy fail because it is not biblical, it will result in massive persecution of Christians who refuse to participate. If it succeeds, chances are it will mesh with the governmental structure of the Antichrist. Absolutely. That's my whole point about this. I felt this way for a long time. And when I read this particular material on the Dominions, it just confirmed the point that I was hoping they would bring up. Because... Ultimately, what's the goal of this? I mean, from Satan's standpoint. What's the goal of, of the Reconstructionism movement by Satan? To mesh with the Antichrist system and to bring about his rule on earth and bring about his rule over the so-called Christians. Okay, And they're going to think you know, that, that he is essentially either Jesus Christ or the Messiah or whatever. But um, they're going to fall for it hook, line, and sinker because they're set up to fall for it. Um, but this premise is not scriptural. The kingdom of Christ on earth is yet to come. Some Reconstructionists believe the kingdom of God on earth is being established now by Christians and will be presented to Christ when he returns. That's another view. Politicians have always used religion as part of their programs to restore nationalism. Scripture tells us that when Jesus returns, the nations will be allied against him. They will not be waiting to welcome him according to Revelation 16, 14, and 19, 19. You know, like with Armageddon. When Jesus returns, at least a vast, major portion of the world would be under the rule of Antichrist, not under the rule of the church. So again, there's just so much you have to ignore to believe in this. The concept, biblically ignore, I should say, the concepts of the United States as a chosen country or a Christian nation is the basic teaching of the Dominionists. Oh yeah, we're a real Christian nation, 4,000 aborted babies every day, basically like Sodom and Gomorrah, where the, one of the chief producers of pornography worldwide. You could go on and on and on. There's so many nations that hate us because of the hypocrisy they see in America, and rightly so. And not to say that's Every person's fault that lives here, because there is a remnant that's here, you know, that I do believe is, is, is fighting this either through prayer or education and things of this nature. And hopefully that's what we're doing today. But um, the vast majority of Christians are totally asleep at the wheel. 
or they call themselves Christians, and they're not even that. But um, this concept of the United States as a chosen country or Christian nation is the basic teaching of the Dominionist Reconstructionist Kingdom Now or Replacement Theology. See, they call it replacement because we're replacing Israel. Okay, all the promises that apply to Israel now only apply to the church. There is a form of elitism among these groups. Well, that's obvious. Because they see themselves as heirs to all the promises made to Israel. In the book of Romans, it is clear that the Gentiles were made partakers of Israel's spiritual promises, but not the land itself. Uh, Romans 15.27 and Acts 13 talks about that. When you combine the concept of a chosen Christian nation or Christian America, in the chosen church, this results in a superior people of men, uh, mental, mentality, and this combination becomes political action. The chosen church merges their identities and ideas with political action leaders who are skilled in whipping up group passions and fears to form the political army. This is a quote from Bold Truth News, 4 of 93, page 9. And it says, The rallying cry used to evoke emotional involvement is, quote, we must return America to the values and lifestyles upon which it was founded. Yeah. This stirs the passions of the chosen church into action, resulting in the gospel of moralism, moralism and an alliance with cultic religions based upon issues, not doctrine. Exactly. Misled Christians see their patriotic and religious duty as a mandate to change society and to ensure outward conformity to their concept of American culture's legal rights. They feel that they must rid society of God-haters, evildoers, God's enemies, secular humanists, pagans, and ultra-liberal heathens who have subverted the Christian America culture and ethics. End of quote. Well, that's true. But see, only the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be able to do that. <laughs> we can't... We can't you know, in and of ourselves, do such a thing. Not to say we can't pray and fast and, 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 and be salt and light in this environment and be watchmen and things of that nature. But just bear in mind, the Bible says it's going to get worse, not better, uh, up until, you know, Jesus comes back. Dominionism in the Reconstructionist literature means rigorous political rule. And again, did Jesus go around running for office? Did he like run for mayor of Jerusalem and try to change Jerusalem from the political? No, he didn't do that. Okay, I don't see the apostles running for any political offices or the martyrs or things of this nature. Um, remember, our, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places and these types of things. So, in fact, the Reconstructionists identify their so-called cultural mandate with the Great Commission. Yet Christ himself condemned dominion theology when he said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are, that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Remember when he said that? But it shall not be so among you. Knowing that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they are and that they are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. So see, that's against and contrary to the dominionist theology. He said that in Matthew 20, 25 and 26. Dominion over men is anti-Christian. is an anti-Christian notion. In Genesis 1, dominion is given to man over the whole non-human creation. Um, in angels accepted, but 
like the fish, the fowl, the cattle of the earth. Not dominion over men is given. I mean, if that were the case, we could, who, would, who would rule over who? You know? The Great Commission, as opposed to the so-called cultural mandate, is addressed only to Christians, not to all men. And it is a command to preach, baptize, and teach through peaceful persuasion. It is not a command to exercise dominion and forcefully convert, as the Catholics have done. Okay? The Catholics were one of pretty much the first ones that took this to the extreme and used the Bible. Of course, they didn't really use the Bible. They used their own twisted interpretation of the Bible to do things like the Spanish Inquisition, where they would torture people unbelievably in order to either get them to get information out of them or to convert or confess or whatever. You know, all of this is totally against the Bible. So, if we go further, Christ's servants do not fight precisely because the kingdom is not of this world. Uh, because his kingdom is not of this world. His method of establishing his kingdom, preaching and teaching, is foolishness to the world, and apparently to some Reconstructionists as well. The Reconstructionist post-millennial view of history has prompted the adoption of some interesting beliefs and interpretations of scriptures. Number one, authority. Some Reconstructionists imply that scriptures by themselves are not sufficient as final authority for faith and practice. Well, that's all you need to know to know you're going to get totally off in left field and get, and get off in all kind of heresy. One individual indicates that there is a twofold authority, namely the Bible and theology. Well, that's how all cults get started. Just look at the Mormon church, okay? You've got, you know, they use the King James Bible and they have the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price. Okay, and then they have all their prophets that, that put out there on biblical stuff as well. Well, who do you believe? Because you know you're going to get contradictions whenever you get man in the mix. And then the other thing that, um, uh, point two is eschatology. Reconstructionism is strongly opposed to dispensationalism. Reconstructionism asserts that God intends the Mosaic Law to be in effect throughout history. Okay, reconstructionists are convinced that the great majority of the New Testament prophecies, including most of the book of Revelation, have already been fulfilled. Whoa. I mean, you, that's a real stretch. In fact, they believe that most of these prophecies were fulfilled by the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Oh, now we're talking about preterism. Which is a whole other rabbit trail. A whole other totally unbiblical rabbit trail that we don't have time to go down today. But they believe that the, you know most of Revelation was filled with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Reconstructionists also teach that Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation are not about the second coming of Christ. Instead, they are prophecies about the 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem and Israel as a national entity. I mean, this is some crazy stuff here. Reconstructionism declares that the world coming in Revelation never refers to the physical realm of Christ, to the earth at his second coming, it insists that most biblical references to Christ's coming are periodic comings of divine judgment upon people and nations during the present age. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of death. And then economics is another point of this. Reconstructionists are convinced of the eventual collapse of the American economy and the social breakdown of the American people. Well, that's happening and probably is going to definitely happen. Um, they believe that when this collapse of the present apostate civilization, civilization takes place, the kingdom of God can then be developed in the world by the remnant that survives the collapse through the adoption of medieval, feudalistic type of economy and lifestyle.
So, yeah, these are some of the things that they believe. Um, yeah. So we were talking about this whole thing with the, the Dominionist movement, and um, we were talking about um, a lot of the Christian organizations out there. And um, the Dominionist bent that I see with a lot of these particular organizations, that I, I don't think I saw it quite as clearly before until I had done this teaching. Uh, I, a lot of you might know I spoke on a 14-city tour at the Prophecy Club uh, a couple years ago, before I really learned a lot about some of the stuff that was going on. And, and you know, there's a lot of that, of that you see with them now, this dominionist bent, very, very hyper-charismatic. And you know what you always see that goes along with this is this lust and this coveting for money. And if you're of a dominionist mindset, um, it's a very good way to get money. Because you can tell people things that, number one, they want to hear. You can make them feel special and these types of things. And you could say, listen, we've got to take this kingdom back. They have this one lady that they're promoting. And it has her where, like, she's over in Israel and she has a sword and she's driving it in the ground. And she's like this big apostle, prophetess type of person. And, you know, it's so disgusting. You know, I mean, particularly with when you have these women at the head of their own ministries, which is really totally unbiblical, if you look in the Bible. Um, and I've done whole teachings on this. And I'm not saying that because I'm prejudiced. I'm saying it because it's biblical. And you have these women at the head of their own ministries, and they're so militant. And they're so not in subjection to anybody. And I'm including God in that scenario. Though they'll, they'll, they'll say they're in subjection to God. If they really were in subjection to God, they would be in subjection to the Bible, His Word. And they're not. And so many of these people, and this particularly occurs in the charismatic circles, you know, they can go and they can say, hey, listen, we're taking the kingdom back for God, but we need your help. We need, you know, if you can't get out there and be a big prayer warrior and do this and do that, and do, we need your money because we need to propagate the gospel of kingdom. And the sooner and quicker we get your money, the sooner we're going to be able to usher in the kingdom. And so these people are compelled. So they make a lot of money through this particular type of theology because you just want to, see, you feel like you're sowing your money to build the kingdom. Okay, and then they're promising all the prosperity gospel stuff along the way is to boot. Um, so that's a, that's another motivation for them. Now, from the mouths of the Reconstructionists themselves, this is from the 1994, 7 of 94, Chalcedon report. So reading some of these quotes, here's one quote, Reconstructionists, are post-millennialists, we believe that Christ established his mediatorial kingdom at his first coming. His first coming. Okay. Now, that's not the view of everybody, but a lot of them do believe this. Okay. And again, remember, there's different flavors of this. Uh, here's another quote from Gary North, Christian Reconstructionism, page 198. In winning a nation to the gospel, the sword as well as the pen must be used. End of quote. <laughs> the sword? So we really are supposed to take the sword, and if necessary, by force. What does the sword imply? The sword implies if you've got to kill somebody to do this, that's okay. See, ultimately, that's their goal. Well, isn't that the goal? Wasn't that the goal of the, of the uh, Catholics during the Inquisition? These types of things. Sure, it was. They were just big enough where they could get away with it. 
If this movement was big enough, they'd be doing the same thing. Here's another quote from Mark Rushdooney, the Chalcedon Report, number 252-1986, and it says, a divorce problem will be solved in a society under God's law because any spouse guilty of capital crimes, which would be adultery, homosexuality, Sabbath, desecration, etc., would be swiftly executed, thus freeing the other party to remarry. End of quote. <laughs> this is pretty crazy stuff, but this was in... I mean, Doug was just confirming this Chalcedon report was, was just one of the main things that they propagate, one, one of their main mouthpieces. Here's another one from the Chalcedon report. This is from the same issue in 1986. It says, Parents would be required to bring their incorrigible children before the judge, and if convicted, have them stoned to death. End of quote. Here's another one from the Chalcedon report. This is um, from Rush Dooney himself, number 20, Chalcedon Report. It says, <clears throat> quote, A godly nation must keep the Sabbath to have God's blessing. Now, this smacks of the whole Christian Reconstruction, Messianic Jew, bring us back into bondage, we've got to celebrate the feast, we've got to do this and do that to earn our salvation. Salvation by works. So he says a godly nation must keep the Sabbath to have God's blessing. Now, I have no problem with us having a designated day of rest like Sunday and these types of things. I've done a whole teaching on this, the Sabbath versus Sunday. I have no problem with that. But when we get to the point where we're saying, I mean, if you're going to be a Sabbath keeper, well, you can't go out and pick up a stick. Oh, are you going to be, how, where does it end? Where does it end if we start going down that road? So a godly nation must keep the Sabbath to have God's blessing, embracing not only a weekly observance, but the observance of the sabbatical year of rest. This is a legal national duty and requirement for the nation to deny the Sabbath is to deny God. End of quote. Again, if righteousness cometh by the law, then our faith is dead and in vain. That's what I say to it. See, I my... When I have people, either they email me or they do this or they do that, I always try to give them back scripture. Because my opinion is irrelevant and means nothing if it doesn't line up with scripture. Not to say all opinions are wrong, because you can have an opinion that lined up with scripture. But most of the time what I get are unbiblical, twisted misinterpretations of things, like these guys that are defending Todd Bentley. I mean, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that next. We're going we're to do another report on on. Todd Bentley and God TV and another update. The last quote is, In a Christian society, the death penalty is still appropriate for the crime of worshipping another god on the Lord's day. Wow. End of quote. That's from James Jordan of the Green Papers, July 1982. I guess that means Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus should all be put to death. According to these guys. So that's the end of part three of our... our um, study on Dominionism, Kingdom Now, Reconstructionism movement. We're going to go ahead and move into our, the next part, which will start another part of our teachings um, regarding Todd Bentley and God TV.